0: Well, I I mean, I think the thing that excites me is that there are people who want to farm.
1: Welcome to the 248th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. 22 years ago, I walked into a small meeting room on the main street of Plainview, Minnesota and witnessed the launch of what has become one of the most influential beginning farmer training programs in the country. Since that time, the Land Stewardship Project's Farm Beginnings course has produced over 1,000 graduates in the Minnesota, Wisconsin region. Surveys have shown that around 60% of those grads are now farming. These farmers are utilizing a wide array of innovative production and marketing practices, from CSA vegetables to pasture-based livestock, and everything in between. Over the years, I've had the opportunity to interview many of these graduates for Land Stewardship Letter Profiles and Ear to the Ground podcasts. I've always been struck at how well-prepared these farmers are when it comes to pursuing a successful career producing food on the land. They're idealistic and passionate, but also grounded in the reality of making a living in a profession plagued by extreme weather fickle markets, and ridiculously high land prices. They've also had to fight against the widespread narrative that there are simply no opportunities in farming. A major reason these farmers are so well-prepared to make a go of it in a tough business can be traced back to what I witnessed in the original class 22 years ago. While the Farm Beginnings curriculum has been modified considerably over the years, at its core it remains a class based on peer-to-peer education. It's also based on the ideals of holistic management. Developed by Alan Savory over three decades ago, holistic management is a decision-making framework built upon the idea that all human goals are fundamentally dependent upon the proper functioning of the ecosystem processes that support life on this planet. When implemented successfully, holistic management can produce for farmers a triple bottom line of economic, environmental, and societal benefits. Through a series of classes and on-farm workshops, Farm Beginnings offers participants training on goal-setting, business planning, innovative marketing, and networking. But what really sets the program apart is that the classes are usually led by farmers from the community who are undertaking their own innovative paths towards raising food profitably. These established farmers often serve key roles as long-term mentors to graduates who choose to launch their own farm businesses down the line. Through Farm Beginnings, Along with a follow-up initiative called Journey Person, people are finding there are plenty of opportunities for those willing to raise food in a manner that benefits the land and their local community. In fact, if nothing else, Farm Beginnings is living proof that it's a myth there are no young and not so young people interested in farming these days. Classes have consistently been filled to capacity, and during the recent session that met during the winter of 2020-2021, there were 60 participants, our biggest class yet. And the community-based peer-to-peer system Farm Beginnings is focused on has become a national model. Around a dozen years ago, LSP worked with our allies to get Congress to create the National Beginning Farmer and Rancher Development Program. BFRDP, as it's called, provides funding for local community-based organizations who want to provide education, training, outreach, and mentoring programs to enhance the sustainability of the next generation of farmers. Through the beginning farmer trainings, offered in communities throughout the country as a result of BFRDP, hundreds of wannabe agrarians are now being exposed to the Farm Beginnings curriculum. The demand for this kind of training and support has also spawned the creation of the Farm Beginnings Collaborative, a national alliance that includes over a dozen organizations with programs serving beginning farmers in 14 states. As a result of the collaborative, the number of Farm Beginnings graduates nationally now totals over 2,000. Many LSP staffers and members have played major roles in the success of Farm Beginnings. I recently sat down to talk to two of those people, Karen Stetler and Amy Bociglupo. Over the years, they've served various roles with Farm Beginnings, doing everything from facilitating classes to actually leading the program. They also played key roles in launching related initiatives, such as Journeyperson and the Farm Beginnings Collaborative, as well as LSP's Land Transition Initiative. Amy recently left LSP after several years leading up the Farm Beginnings program and is now running an organic fruit orchard with her family in western Minnesota. Karen continues to work with LSP to help retiring farmers transition their land and businesses to the next generation. Karen and Amy shared with me the history of Farm Beginnings, its philosophical basis, how it's evolved over the years, the challenges beginning farmers face, and finally, where they see the course going in the future. Appropriately, We conducted our interview in Mankato, Minnesota, on the grounds of Our Lady of Good Counsel, the home of the School Sisters of Notre Dame. Over the years, Good Counsel has served as a venue for several key meetings involving the Farm Beginnings Steering Committee, which is an advisory group of LSP members. Karen started our conversation talking about why Farm Beginnings was created in the first place. Turns out, it's rooted in a group of passionate and vocal southeastern Minnesota crop and livestock producers who were not willing to give up on seeing their community populated by a new generation of farmers. Perhaps not surprisingly, they called themselves the Wabashaw County Give-A-Dams.
0: Doug Nopar and Meredith Levy actually were working out of the Lewiston office and doing one-to-one visits with people in the Plainview area. And uh, we're just trying to assess what needs people saw in the agricultural field and who would be farming in the next generation was one of the biggest things that came out of that. And they were concerned with the lack of um, FFA in some of the local schools. There were some changes going on with community colleges and they were dropping really key egg programs. And so that was that point that really led to a grant, a MISA grant, um, to get started thinking about something like Farm Beginnings. The, the one interesting sort of thing that was happening at the same time was there was a group called the Wabasha County Give-A-Dams mm-hmm. that was up and running and really working on the John Hancock um, insurance issues. And so really just a lot of um, energy from that same group around this idea of next generation farmers. And so a lot of those committee members became part of that like initial steering committee that got Farm Beginnings going. And I'm pretty sure that it was Farm Beginnings right from the start. And I also think the other component that was happening even before Farm Beginnings got started was the holistic management piece that a lot of uh, farmers had been in our Southeast area and probably broader than Southeast area, been really focusing on. And so that was a huge component that we added into the Farm Beginnings curriculum.
1: So we started those classes in Southeast and then Amy, you came on board to teach them
2: Moved out to Western Minnesota and taken the position with LSP to launch a program in Western Minnesota in the summer of 2000, and then we had our first class the fall of 2000. Okay. Prior to that, following on that community idea, and this is something that we've made like, part of how we share it with, across the country with other programs, You know, we did the organizing, we convened a steering committee. And and part of what was so important to me about that was like all of those individuals, some of the things that we are looking for in them is like they're gonna be there for those folks who go through the class. They'll they're willing to step up to be mentors, help them go to the bank, get a loan, advocate for them when they're when they need that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and share ideas, information, like all of that kind of stuff. So that organizing came first. Um, and a lot of that groundwork was already there because of LSP's presence in the region.
1: So talk talk a little bit about the, uh, again, this was not going to be just a straight up classroom type situation. It was kind of starting out with getting at people's deeply held beliefs, what their goals were, and by no accident, a lot of holistic management. That was a really important part of it. and and. I know one thing, I've talked to a lot of Farm Beginnings grads over the years, and they said, oh my gosh, the best thing was I learned how to set goals. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I wish they taught that in school, you know, kind of thing. So talk a little bit about that. There was a real concerted effort behind that whole philosophy, behind how it was taught and how it was presented.
2: Yeah, so well, you were in southeast Minnesota, I was actually interning, um, or maybe it was before you were brought on, but like as that Farm Beginnings stuff was starting in Southeast, I was interning with LSP out in Western Minnesota with Audrey Arner and actually helping her convene the group of farmer edu- holistic management educators who were also farmers. And so I got a really in-depth like grounding and went through the trainings myself. And so when I kind of came back in two thousand, I was just really excited that, and it made sense because, I mean, what the Wabasha County Giver Dams was saying was like, based on our experience, using holistic management has allowed us to be successful and we're defining success in our own terms, not what, you know, the seed dealer or the banker or somebody else is defining as success. We've Mm -hmm. taken that away. We've brought that and are owning it ourselves. And so it's a real, you know, that's kind of the central part of it is that um, the farmer is the person driving the decision-making and they're doing the work and having, doing the communications with their Team, their whole, um, to figure out what are all their shared values and what is this, their decision to farm, what is it ultimately hoping to achieve on a lot of different levels. The, the land, you know, what they need to have for income, for their family, for their community. So that's kind of the nutshell of holistic management and, it's, and approaching it in that way is completely different than any other kind of training that you would get because most trainings were kind of focused on very standard business planning, which a lot of it is set up actually just to like move you into the like boxes that financial institutions or seed dealers or equipment dealers already have for farmers, which is like a lot of corn and soybeans. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But those, like if you follow those boxes, you know, if you go into those boxes, what you get out of it isn't going to necessarily line up with your, your own goals and, and your family's goals. And and again, some of those Wapshaw County Gibbidams had seen that model fail over and over again. And they didn't want to set up the next generation of farmers to fail in that same way by like just blindly following these paths that were laid out for them.
0: And I think you raise a good point, Amy, that um, there was training going on. Mm-hmm. And so that was the beginning, or in the time of training, a lot of farmers were going through holistic yeah. uh management. And so then when we're asking people to come in and present and talk about their, their you know, issues, their um, uh, experiences, then holistic management was able to be lifted up in a practical way. So it's not yes. just like, here's this theoretical model, but here's how we're using it, mm-hmm. how it's helped our business. And so I think that really um, spoke really loudly to beginning farmers.
1: And I know one of the things that has always been the, the focus of Farm Beginnings is... And you alluded to this a little bit before, but not the traditional model of bringing in the quote-unquote expert, presenting a class, and then walking out. But the, it was somebody from the community, preferably a farmer, but also other community members like bankers, mm-hmm. loan officers from banks, people from the community who who make an agricultural economy, what it is, that that was part of it. It was just that kind of... and and through that, hopefully creating networks that last after the class. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, I think the, the networks were really important even as we were determining where we were going to hold the class. Um, Amy mentioned that a little bit. You know, We would rotate the classes from place to place, but always one of the key things was, do we have a support net in place for beginning farmers once the class ends? So to your point of inviting people in, yes, so here's the person that you might be seeing or someone like this person if you were to walk into a local bank. And I just remember Tim Gossman coming in and you know, talking about finances and talking with a banker can be, you know, a really boring thing, but he would just, you know, answer questions, he would make people laugh, make people feel comfortable, and at the end of the day he would say, If you need a loan and you want to practice before you actually go into a, your own banker, set up an appointment, you can come in and you can do a practice run with me. So, you know, it's that kind of thing. We're Like, how can we really um, use the resources that we have in our network to really get um, help people to, to um, be able to uh, um, meet their goals, to, to have their dreams of farming mm-hmm. become real?
2: Yeah, I, I, I think one of the things that I w- want to point out at this point is that we were building the community as we went also, and so we had a very intentional component of the class was talking about, okay, yes, we're here, we're, we're supporting you in becoming a successful farmer, but we also understand that that's not enough. <laughs> you just an individual farmer succeeding on their own isn't gonna get the change. Like, it's hard to get started farming. It's not, we're not gonna achieve the change we need unless we also are building the system so that those farmers hey, who may never come into the Farm Beginnings class or who come many years later are walking into a system that's better, um, more resourced, easier to access, more fair, more equitable, more accessible. So that was like the folks who went through the Farm Beginnings class all be- also became part then of that network and that community and understood that their role wasn't just to graduate and then never see us again, <laughs> but it was very much to like, we're going to call you, you're going to come back in, you're going to talk about what you're doing, good and bad, you know, successes and failures. And and it was a real remarkable thing also at that time for farmers to be so open about their financial situation and to share so openly about that because there was a lot of messaging about, like, don't share your secrets to success. <laughs> so we kind of broke that culture down also. and mm-hmm. and And people instantly understood that, like, this was a there was a desire for them as a beginning farmer to succeed so much so that like, those ideas were gonna be like, shared. And, and then the understanding that they would be doing the same in return at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really cultural, it was a cultural shifting work.
1: <laughs> uh, Karen, I think at one point, it, it, started like, it sounded like it got going, uh, those first couple years we expanded it to western minnesota we were having i think two classes a year at one point but was there a point where we were look kind of we we i know that big part of the holistic ideal was we monitor the program itself to see how it's working and didn't you kind of folks kind of take a look at it and say and go back to the steering committee and try to have a discussion about well maybe we don't aren't going to proceed with this can you tell a little bit talk a little bit about that and and the answer that you got <laughs>
0: Yeah, so um, part of the holistic management uh, philosophy um, decision-making process is to, you know, set a goal um, and assume you're wrong, and then to really go back and look and see, okay, is this really the right way to go? And so we at, I don't even remember what year it was, we had been going really strong. We had two and three full classes. Mm-hmm. And then things started to you know, not be quite as vibrant. Um, and we thought, well, now's the time to, to bring in the steering committee, um, who have been a part of the whole program all along, helping to guide the program. And just ask them. Just say, you know, we think maybe we've run our course. Like maybe this is all we need to do for beginning farmers. And maybe we need to look at something else. And so we sat right here at Good Council and had a meeting with the steering committee and mm-hmm. heard a resounding, no, you can't stop <laughs> beginning training. This is needed, and we need to keep moving forward. And so we said, okay, and um, we just dug right back in and, and continued to provide training for beginning farmers and also expand. Mm-hmm. Um, we expanded into a journeyperson course for farmers who were in their
2: third to Mm -hmm. 10th year um, and
0: thinking about that scaling up and Mm -hmm. and how they um, put those pieces together.
2: So also early on, we were understanding that there were a lot of barriers that, I mean like the class was great in getting people kind of launched, but people were running into all kinds of barriers. One of them was like um, access to capital. And so we had a livestock loan program. So really focusing in on like helping People get started with livestock in like regenerative systems and managed rotational grazing, um, and there was a, a lot of success with that. Um, I mean, I we had people paying back their loans, you know, and 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 um, so, but that that bank of money that we were, we were like just reevaluating that in and of itself at the same time we were seeing this shift in who was coming to the Farm Beginnings classes. For So half of the class were people not engaged with livestock at all, mm-hmm. um, or maybe even more than half the class, and that proportion was growing. And so we were looking at that data as well, and then we are seeing that from our graduates who were still really involved with us, there was a, a request for something again. Mm-hmm. Because things once you get like three to five years in, you start having a, um, more significant questions about scale of operation, how to really bring this into something that's economically viable. Um, and, and we were, had a lot of concern for those folks who had gotten launched and were running into these, like they were starting to need to hire people. They were looking at like buying land. Um, so like all these significant decisions That were quite individual to their operation and not as easy to cover in kind of a like farm beginning setting where we're doing every everybody gets the same thing for nine sessions. So it was all of that like data that we were gathering and looking and trying to assess like where do we go from here um, that we heard from the steering committee like keep doing farm beginnings and (laughs) we want something that addresses these needs for these emerging farmers that are running into these roadblocks in, th- in years three to five. And what we, we did a lot of organizing, one-to-ones, and Parker Fursell came on board, who had a vision for, for something like that. And this is where we also were able to learn from what was happening across the country. So with the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association had something called the Journey Person Program. And they were one of the people we were reaching out to and asking to kind of like partner with on a national level. Um, through the Farm Beginnings Collaborative. And so um, what we wanted to do was go more intensive on the financial planning and also without grounded in the values and the goals, but then also provide individualized, and this was modeled after the livestock loan. So somebody would be get that more in-depth training through a couple of retreats and then be matched with a um, mentor for whatever production system they had, and then also with a financial advisor. And this is where we didn't wanna, cre- there were already programs out there, so we didn't wanna create something separately, so we actually partnered with Moses and the Farm Business Management Program to incorporate those um, components in so that like we were as partners, we were stronger together. Um, but that required work on our part especially with the farm business management program to really kind of like help them understand the holistic financial planning model and how that's different than the way that they typically, and how can those two things kind of fit together. And that's been a fairly good experience over time and there have been more and more of their instructors who are willing to kind of do that work to work with our farmers who are quite different than their typical audience.
1: So let's step back a little bit at, and look at, at the point where we started journeyperson and all that, and we had had several classes by that point, and we had decided we were going to go forward with it. What give me an idea of the diversity of farming uh, 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 operations that we had? It, it, the focus was initially going to be dairy grazing. It, it went well beyond that. so what, what kind of what were we seeing some of these grads doing when they went uh, went, went off and after, after taking the class?
0: Yeah, I would say there were still some dairy grazers, um, but probably, that would probably be the smallest group. We had uh, a lot of people doing diversified animals, um, and then a lot of people really looking at vegetable operations, whether it be farmer's market, CSA, wholesale. Um, And one of the the things that we've um, toyed with in, in terms of answering the question, like would people, if land wasn't an issue, veer more toward the livestock mm-hmm. farming mm-hmm. And, and and because of vegetables and your ability to do that with not as much land, that maybe that's why we were seeing um, a lot of folks uh, or a lot more, maybe, I don't know, 50% of the people, you know, focusing on, on a vegetable operation. But mm-hmm. but that's kind of what we were seeing.
2: Yeah, there's a couple of things with that makes that easier as a step in. It's the initially, like, you get paid pretty much right away, (laughs) whereas livestock, it's, you know, a couple of months, maybe a year and a half before you're getting something. I mean, I I honestly, having raised hogs myself, yes, there's the infrastructure expenses, but I also think it's just a steeper learning curve, and there's fewer people doing it to help you learn. Like, we were able to get started with hogs because the Vanderpools were willing to let their pregnant sows come have babies in our barn. You know, like, otherwise, like, who would have taught us yeah. to do deep straw farrowing? Like, it's like a yeah. maybe five people, you know, like in our state that could have done that at that time. Yeah. Okay. So people wanting to do innovative livestock just had a, a, many fewer teachers yeah. and examples of like viable ways of doing it. And I think the marketing issues are like, we're finding that still today, like the processing of the livestock, the getting of the feed, like all of those things, those systems are just not robust.
1: Well, the other thing that struck me is, speaking of kind of demographics, and maybe what you don't always think of when you think of beginning farmer, I think a lot of people associate it with young people. But I remember sitting in on some classes and being struck at at one point of, oh, there's some people who who are maybe mid-career. Maybe they are already farming. I guess, did we reach out to more of those people and they came, or did they start to just show up, (laughs) some of those mid-career type folks?
0: Well, I think what is so interesting about Farm Beginnings is that we would, of course, do our marketing every year, but really it was word of mouth um, was our primary way that people would find us. And um, I think there are a lot of people who were discouraged from farming early on and in mid-life realize that that is something that they really want to do. And so this felt like an, a way of sort of refocusing and maybe entering.
2: Yeah. yeah, I just want to raise up at this point, just like it. our class has pride, predominantly served white
1: right.
2: people. And so um, I'm just bringing it up because I think I, it's, I, we talked about barriers before. We're talking about like, you know, people, who often maybe already have access to land, grew up in a farming family, some of the folks in the class, or are, are people along a career path where they've made some money so that that allows them to even think about farming. And, and what's missing here for us, and we're learning this, and have been wanting to see things change in how we do things, is that we need to create more access. And, and that's not just for the class. But for farmers of color, and and what we're seeing in the the class this year, which is the mo- the largest and the most diverse class that we've ever had, is that um, land is just a huge barrier, and we need to address that barrier um, so that there can be more diverse, not only enterprises, but you know people with different backgrounds, uh, people of color, economic class. You know, class it enters into it too. You know, like I think it's it's generally kind of a privileged career path. You have to have access to wealth. And if we don't address that, um, we're not going to have as robust of a farming community as we could. Yeah. And I think we're limiting our ability to achieve our
1: mission. It goes it goes back to that concept that this is kind of a community improvement program. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's about yeah. the community kind of thing. Right. But we'll talk, how, talk about that class. That's really exciting. <laughs> I mean, how what's what are we seeing uh, as far as Who's, who's in the class now that maybe has not traditionally been in the class?
2: Well, we have a cohort of um, farmers from the Red Lake Nation, and then also we have a cohort from the Midwest Farmers of Color. And then in addition to that, there's just an additional couple of folks from different native communities. So those are the main... And, and I would say throughout our history, we've like had one or two people of color in the class on a typical year. But this is up towards 25, I think, percent of the class that's um, people of color. And we're rethinking everything. I mean, we're unlearning a whole bunch of things about holistic management and about, you know, um, privilege and access. Mm-hmm. And um, and and it's very exciting right. <laughs> and, and super challenging. Yeah. But I, I know we want, this is a challenge that we've put ourselves on the path to, like, go
1: through. Yeah. <laughs> One of the really exciting things that happened, I think it was around maybe 2009 or so, 2000, late 2000s is Farm Beginnings was so successful, it was getting a lot of media attention. We were getting a lot of graduates that were successfully getting out there on the land. And so it became a little bit of a national model. And one of the results of that was that the Beginning Farmer Beginning and Farmer Rancher Development Program was uh, passed and funded by Congress uh, with a lot of impetus behind, uh, as a result of Land Stewardship Project pushing that and our allies. So that was really exciting, both because we were going to have this national initiative and because USDA and Congress, ag leaders in Congress, were recognizing the need for beginning farmers. To go back a little bit, My understanding is there was a little bit of, because it was a successful program and people were excited about it, there was a little bit of pressure on LSP to make this a national program. And to remain true to its community roots, we said, well, no. How about other community organizations like us start their own version of Farm Beginnings? We'll provide the curriculum and the support. And so... You know, they're like, great, where are we going to get the resources to do that? And, and so one of the things was this BFRDP. So talk a little bit about what that was and why that was so important. To, uh,
0: sure. Well, I, I might go back just a slight bit and talk about a SARE grant that we received. Okay, Sustainable agri- Agriculture Research and Education Grant. Yes. And so we applied for a regional one. Yeah. So we were able to work with um, Missouri and Illinois and Nebraska. To, to just even um, put our toe in the water with this. And it was because people wa- kept calling us and mm-hmm. saying, we, wa- we would like to do what you're doing. And so we said, okay, well, let's apply for this grant. Let's, let's make it real. And so we started that way and realized very quickly that we could spend a lot of time training other groups. Mm-hmm. And we really needed to be true to our programs here as well. And, um, but it was as a result of that that we recognized that there is a need across the nation for this kind of farmer-led, community-based training um, and networking program. Mm-hmm. And so in conversation with our policy and organizing program, we said, you know, there's this beginning farm and rancher development program that's been basically on the books for years but never funded. Mm-hmm. We need to figure out the funding for this because there's a need here. And so, you know, we just got the wheels turning and worked together. It was and were successful, and got it funded. I even testified um, yeah. in um, Congress, which was an experience in and of itself, but it, it, it built the momentum uh, for what we currently now have, the Beginning Farm and Rancher Development Program, which has funded, I don't know how many, countless programs across the nation.
2: <laughs> I feel like I should know, because I've stayed active with it, but I mean, on an annual basis, it's, it's um, funding at least like 25 or 26 projects that are all three-year projects. So the funding amounts are up to 600000 And then there's, there's a level that's like what we got at, to do, which was just kind of a regional thing. And then there's a national level as well. So that you would be working with organizations across the country. Uh-huh. Um, and mostly that's fo- focused on professional development for like train the trainer work.
0: And I just want to circle back with one thing. I mean, one of our goals when we initially started this work was that we wanted to help beginning farmers beyond yeah. the farmers that we could reach right here with Farm Beginnings. And right. so here we are, um, national yeah. coverage, national opportunities for other states, other beginning farmers. So it really just felt like we were helping to make that that happen.
2: I also just want to lift up a part of that is also it's uh, shifting the narrative, and this is an example of like when we got started, there was pushback to say, you know, that's a lot, we don't want to encourage people into farming, like there's no there's no future in farming unless you grew up on a farm,
1: mm-hmm.
2: like that was definitely we heard that wow. we would bring people into the class and they were like, well, I've been told my whole life there's no future in farming, right. <laughs> like so here I am tell me what tell me how to do this differently yeah, you know? yeah. and so by organizing successfully and winning policy and doing the like good communications work in the media alongside that where we're like there is a future in farming this is what it looks like it's more diverse it's not what you typically think of as farming it's going to be community based you know we were we were very successful in sh- in shifting people's like gut responses to f- beginning farmers in general. And so we're in a different place now where theres it's a ton more competitive now because there's all kinds of programs (laughs) for beginning farmers now.
1: Well, that's a huge point because one of the biggest barriers is the narrative out there and the the conventional wisdom. And uh, frankly, a lot of it comes from people who got started farming were maybe very successful and are at the end of their career in farming. And they're like, well, that was kind of a one-time thing. It's, those days are over. And that, they're influential in the community. So when they say there's no opportunities, that has a big influence. Even, you know, people say young people don't listen to old people. Well, they do when it comes to that. That can really be a, a, have a negative impact on folks. And you wanna be realistic, like you said, if you're gonna go into conventional corn and beans, and you're 22 years old yeah maybe there is not a future <laughs> but we were proposing something different so that's that is a huge victory to to get over that narrative i think and 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 shift shift what people how people were seeing agriculture a little bit who they were seeing in agriculture
2: who are they who were seeing as farmers like yeah. i mean we're 60% women that are the farmers in yeah. farm mm-hmm. beginnings so yeah. we've been part of putting, you know, getting those farmer, women farmers on the, in the field. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. And not only us, but as we built a national, this Farm Beginnings Collaborative, you know, starting with the SARE grant and then adding over time, now we're up to 13 other organizations that are running Farm Beginnings. They, we were, I mean, that was what was fabulous about working together as we were just learning from each other and things that we thought maybe were isolated pockets of what was happening. We could like hear from everybody else, like, nope, this is the, this is the growth, the trends we're seeing, and these are the barriers that we're seeing, and here's some innovative approaches to, to solving those barriers from our place. What do, you, what do you think? I think what typically happens and what we were feeling pressured to do was like create a curriculum that would be like a cookie bot, or what do you call it? <laughs> cookie cutter. Cookie cutter. <laughs> and then it could be replicated, and any extension agent could pull it off the shelf and do their... Their Farm Beginnings class, yeah. but we were like, no, you have to do the organizing. You have to build that community, and that's not necessarily been a role that Extension has saw themselves in, so, um, and that's great if they want to, but like, it's in some ways, anyways, that's a different story. <laughs> so anyways, it was really important that, um, that the path we chose was one where we, we understood that this was like a set of tools, and again, it's like, holistic management influence. It's like, you know, what, who who is the whole in your region and what are you hearing from the farmers there? And what are your values now? Now you take this toolbox of tools that we, we call farm beginnings and you, you know, you decide and you, you and your farmers decide, you know, how to, put those pieces together to make a course. Mm -hmm. So we are going against like a cookie cutter model and really emphasizing the relationships that we built with those organizations and fostering like a true collaborative, like a true just like we didn't, we moved away from thinking of ourselves as like the givers of information (laughs) and towards like we're all here with really valuable information so let's share that. And neither one of us have been on the ground facilitating farm beginnings recently. Mm -hmm. And I haven't looked at that data recently. So I'm just giving a sense that um, over time, um, I would say the proportion of folks in the class who have actual farming experience has gone down. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we started off with maybe 70% and now now it's flipped. It's like maybe 30% actually have some experience actually farming Mm -hmm. and 70% don't. And that actually very much has influenced changes we've made with the curriculum over time as well, because it we need, like, to effectively do holistic management, It um, it is, you can go deeper when you have a couple of years of farming under your belt. Yeah. <laughs> so there's been shifts in the curriculum to account for that. I mean, the, the goal setting and the values, you know, identifying values, all of that has remained, but we've not gone as deep into the financial pieces and that's why the journey person could then become that place once people have three years at least of numbers that they're dealing with where it makes sense to do a deeper dive on those numbers.
1: One thing I wanted to ask you about because I know that's been another because I've talked to a lot of grads over the years that another thing that they really appreciate from the class was learning something as basic as how to do a business plan and how they've had bankers say to them, I wish every one of the farmers that come in here had a business plan as good as that. that it's, so that's that combination of the philosophy and goal setting and holistic management, but it's that nuts and bolts business planning. Talk about that. That sounds like that's, that's been a really important piece.
0: I don't think you can be successful if you don't actually think through a business plan. And I think that's what is, like, it's that parallel piece. It's like, what is your deeply held belief? What do you really want to accomplish? Here's a decision-making process to help you make those decisions. And... Yes, you do have to look at real numbers. You have to think about where you're going to be selling product um, because if, if you're going to be doing it for a hobby, that's one thing. If you're going to be doing it as a business and you want to be doing it down the road, then you need to really think about you know the real that's involved. Mm-hmm. So I think that farm proposal that people mm-hmm. come away with, not only are they throughout the whole course really thinking through what it is they want to do and they're doing some research, but they also have an opportunity to share that farm proposal with someone in the field who is doing a similar type yeah. of enterprise and can get some feedback from them,
2: which they can then apply in terms of their planning process. And I think, I think one of the, what we've heard lately is that marketing is a really, really big challenge. And, um, and so having just, you know, we have, there are two sessions on marketing and some of the just concepts in there, but even just being able to talk to like somebody who buys produce <laughs> You know, like, those realities. Like, um, I think for somebody so new to farming, we used to call it, like, the, like, a wake-up call or something. Like, we've always wanted whatever we're doing in the class to really ground people in reality. Like, w- we feel like we'd be doing a disservice if we were just like, this is all possible, mm-hmm. and you're not going to have to make hard decisions. <laughs> you're going to have to make hard decisions, and it's really tough. And like, you may walk away from this class and decide that, you know, you're not, you don't wanna try that right now or ever because it's gonna, you're gonna have to make some hard decisions and you're probably gonna have to sacrifice some things and um, make sure you have those conversations with people in your life as you move forward. And so some people have taken the class and chosen not to farm. And for us, that's, that we're doing our job. That's part of our job is, is saving them that, Money, <laughs> but also just the relationships um, that would be hurt or harmed if, if you know, they threw themselves at a really bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, there's just no doubt that this training. I mean, you hear it from uh, from the grads how great the training is, and I think you know, I don't know what it is now, but I've seen surveys where our estimates are about 60% of the grads are actually on farms uh, farming and you know are getting beyond that first couple years and 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 having some success on the land and that's you know compared to other training programs that's a huge that's a that's a very good percentage right there but one of the barriers that they run into uh invariably is just like they get going they get going and it's a brick wall is access to land and so We've tried to address that in recent years, um, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what LSP is trying to do with that and what some of our allies are trying to do with that. And I know we've even been able to try to get things like some tax breaks put in to help that transition a little bit, but it's, it's taken a lot of really very local organizing to get going on this you talk a little bit about that
0: sure Um, right so I think one of the things that is so wonderful about the farm beginnings program is that we have connections and relationships with people and because of that we're always in tune with where people are at and some of the struggle points and and you're right uh, access to land is a huge barrier Um, and so about 10 years ago we recognized that we were not only hearing that from the beginning farmer side but we are also hearing it from the retiring farmer side, so like long-term LSP members really thinking about next steps on their farm, trying to figure out if they did or didn't have successors, how they were going to do it, and so it just felt like time to really um, invest and think about this big big issue of land access. And so, um, so we, we, we jumped in, and, and um, at this point, um, we again had a steering committee Working and, and thinking about um, the next steps. One of the first things we did was engage with uh, Luann Kling, who has been doing a lot of work with farmers over the years and had a, brought a lot of experience and started out as one of our farm transition coaches. Uh, she and Paul Watska um, at really trying to help landowners to really assess what their goals were, what they wanted their legacy um, of the land to be, and then to really help. Think about that process, with how, and then and then to then make those connections with with beginning farmers, and it was really through that connection with Luann Kling um, that we recognized the need to really focus on the, the 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 landowners as we were reaching out. So so Luann Kling has been really um, connected in getting the um, Minnesota, Minnesota Minnesota Farm, Farm Advocates. Advocates program started. One of the pieces of the Minnesota Farm Advocates is around helping farm transitions. And so it was just a natural connection to be working with Luann and and the farm advocates bringing them into that process and recognizing that they needed training too to Mm -hmm. be able to help um, make this happen. And so um, we're working with them and and there was just so many things happening on the land. Um, We got involved with lots of um, people who were really facing lots of, uh, hard things um, on farmland farm crisis was um, really a challenge for folks. Just the fact that having some incentives, we recognize, I mean, all the work that we're doing on the ground is really great work, but there's also some systems changes that need to be taking place at the same time. One of those one of those pieces that has happened is the Minnesota beginning farmer tax credit, which really has been lifted up to, elevate that there are beginning farmers who are out there who want to get started and especially lifting up if you're not related, sort of incentivize that beginning of a conversation with a landowner to sort of make either that rental or or possible owning situation possible.
1: What do you see kind of into the future? What are the challenges for farm beginnings or a program like that? And what, what do you think are some things that we need to address? Just... Um, yeah, you know what gets you excited? What what could be some some neat changes? And uh, you know where we where do we go from here?
0: Well, I, I mean I think the thing that excites me is that there are people who want to farm, and I mean and there are and there are people within the community who are wanting to support those individuals who want to farm, and I I feel like we have a lot of. Um, foundation that those thousand plus people um, can bring back into the program and to help assess. I feel like we have, we're at a huge turning point right now with evaluating our current curriculum mm-hmm. and making it more inclusive. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that just broadens the number of farmers that we can and, and the, the, the breadth of farmers that we can reach, the diversity of farmers we can reach. And that's really exciting to me at the same time, I'm, I'm seeing um, this like, really groundswell of people really thinking about the legacy that they want to leave on the land. And also this uh, collective thought process on how do we access land? What, do we have to use the same traditional models we have used all along up till now to offer that opportunity to access land? And people are saying, no. Well, let's think about some alternatives. And so, I mean, that 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 sort of alternative land access piece really is um, exciting at this moment, um, and and it needs more more focus and time. Which you know, we're always learning, and we're every step of the way we're always learning. So I think that um, provides a lot of excitement for me.
2: Yeah, I mean, my excitement comes from what we've been learning from working with like the Upper Sioux community and the Red Lake Nation, mm-hmm. and I think. I'm at a real point of realizing that there's, there's a model that's already been working for hundreds of years yeah. in our state. Mm-hmm. And I think listening and learning, uh, Red Lake Nation's food system is amazing. And, and the amount that they're producing, how they're producing it, I think it's a time for us to kind of listen and learn and, and follow. And I, I'm really excited about that. I think we have a significant role to play as Land Stewardship Project to help expand the land that um, Native communities have access to to grow the food systems mm-hmm. um, that they've been fostering for hundreds of years. And it's, it's just a stepping back and like listening and appreciating on a deeper level what's there, already there in terms of their community. They're very community-based <laughs> and how they care for their community. I think it's a real model for rural communities. And so I'm really excited about opportunities for Land Stewardship Project members and rural communities to take lessons from how, rural, how native communities are fostering at, at their kind of like, what do I wanna say, core, this, a, f- a food systems approach to health and healing, um, and economic development. I think there's a lot bubbling up right now in that, and I think we have some good relationships are in our place to listen and learn and, and adapt how we approach those, that body of work and how we work with our members to do that. I'm, I'm hopeful for healing, because I, I, you know, being in a rural community right now, feel, things feel pretty polarized and, and hopeless. And I think that just beneath that surface, there is an opportunity for healing, but we have to kind of listen, learn, and like come together. And, and, and a lot of that has to do with a lot of racial inequities that are, exist across urban, rural, whatever. But we have to see ourselves as having the ability to work together and the desire to work together.
1: Farm Beginnings is now accepting applications for its next round of classes. For more information, see farmbeginnings.org. The Farm Beginnings Collaborative webpage is at farmbeginningscollaborative.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at Bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org, or you can call 612-816-9342. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Borgondell, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.